Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. It's Spits and Suds. I'm Gavin Spittle, 105.3 The Fan. He's Sean Shapiro of EP Ringside, Shap Shots, D Magazine, and more. So uh, some prospect news uh, for yep. the uh, stars. Uh, we can uh, go from there. Uh, they had a signing. And then Logan Stankoven we've all talked about, but his teammate is getting some attention as he was a later round draft pick for the Stars. Yeah, who Dallas signed to the entry-level deal this week, Matthew Semenoff, and uh, he definitely an interesting... Semenoff is a very interesting case for me because he's got a lot of that... Um, I want to be careful when I use names like this because this is something I want to be very clear on this because it's a question of sometimes you'll you'll bring up a, one player and someone will be like, oh, you're equating him to him. So I am I want to be clear. I am not equating Matthew Semenoff to to Jason Robertson. I am not. That is not that is not the case I'm making. But I but Semenoff has the has the big has the same category of question mark that Jason Robertson had to get over. Jason Robertson, the reason everyone saw Jason Robertson fall to the reason Jason Robertson fell to a second round pick was because his, everyone said, well, will he be able to skate at an NHL level? Will he be able to do that? And obviously we've seen what Jason Robertson does. And Seminoff is a player who is in that same category where you look at all of the other tools. Um, I went back and I pulled up uh, the our EP, uh, the elite prospects uh, draft guide from Seminoff's draft year from, from last year and messaged some of the people I've seen, I know who have kind of watched him more lately. And it's really the biggest question is going to be the skating. Um, it's, it's, it's such a huge slider for Seminoff at the NHL level. 
he is going to be he's got he's got a good shot he's he's got a really good he's he's a good passer he's got really good puck handling he's got really good physical tools but just the the skating is the skating is a big concern he doesn't really the, he, he's neither fast nor has a like great stride and i'm not trying to rip all on, on him because obviously we've seen some ugly skaters have some great nhl careers jason robertson is not a great skater obviously he's a great player um jamie ben isn't the prettiest skater either so it's it's going to be that's going to be the challenge for Seminoff. he's having a great year with cam loops he's got what is it he's got 82 points in 62 in 62 games i it's it's definitely going to be very interesting to see Kind of the thing that I've heard with Seminoff is, does he go from, is he a, his, how he figures out the skating will be the, basically the decision between, is he a middle six guy in the NHL or is he an AHLer? And it's kind of, it's kind of, that's kind of going to be the interesting thing with him. How is his skating? How is that going to progress? Will it hold him back? Some guys, get over it. Some guys don't. It's, uh, it's just, it's, it's a very interesting case of someone who, and, and I know it's this, um, actually we have a great example for it. We have a great example of, of this within the stars organization in their history. Um, Travis Morin, who mm. number 23, number 23 is retired down in Texas. Yeah. All time. Great. Uh, AHL hall of famer. Why did Travis Morin only play nine games in the NHL? He was a really bad skater. Like he was, he was one of the greatest passers we've ever seen. His numbers were, he was an AHL great. The difference between Travis Morin and the NHL was his skating. And that was the difference. And this is the challenge that Matthew Seminoff will have coming up into his career. He will be, he will have a long pro career. He's that type of guy where with his tools and his skills, he will have a long pro career. I'm pretty confident in that. The question is, is he the AHL guy who's a lifer in the AHL or is he the guy that breaks through? I don't, it's, it's by his draft position. He was a, by his draft position. I mean, he's going to be, he was a sixth rounder for that reason. I, uh, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens with him because I like his game a lot, but then you watch him skate and you just, and then you watch NHLers skate and you start to say, there's so much of a gap here, but it's, I'm not, uh, I I'll be, I'll be the first to admit, I thought Jason Robertson skating was going to hold him back way too much. I'll be the first person to say I was wrong on Jason Robertson's game and look what happened with Jason Robertson. So this is the challenge for Seminoff. How does he, will he be able to skate his way into the NHL? Because he has the other tools. It's, it's that other, it's the other part there that it's, it's, it's that part, which is, um, I I do love those lower round picks that have some of those early liabilities, but overcome them with just that knack to put the puck in the net. I would probably add Joe Pavelski to that list. Yeah. And and Joe Pavelski was also a, like the thing about Joe Pavelski is Joe Pavelski was a little, was a different player from, from the jump as far as he was more of the, um, Joe Pavelski is more of, he's a very smart player, but Joe Pavelski kind of came in as more of that half court set guy. He was, that was kind of what was expected with him. And then the other thing about Pavelski, that's just 
just interesting too is the game was a bit slower than two, right? Like when Joe Pavelski yeah. came into the game, it was still a spot when um, we talked about young, talented players jumping into the league right now. How fast you had to be and how good of a skater you had to be wasn't the bar wasn't as high where Joe Pavelski wasn't that far behind compared to where the game was. And so that's that's something with that Seminoff is just an era when guys skate so well now. I, I, I mean, I really like so much of his game, actually. I went and watched some video of him this morning. He he really he reads position, he reads the game well. He's gonna he's he's very good positionally. The skating doesn't hold him back from being in the right spots at the WHL, but there are others little things where you watch him and you watch uh, Logan Stankoven in the same game. And you're like, you can see why one of them is a sure bet potential top six NHL player next year. And why one is, I don't know if he'll make it out of the AHL and it comes down right to watching that first stride with him. So. So the stars earlier this month signed 20 year old Chase Weecroft, who played in the W mm-hmm. plays in the WHL to a three year entry level contract. Explain the process, how a guy like that who's amassing such points is available to sign. Well, so Chase Sweetcroft, let me make sure I have the the right number here. Like he is in his draft year. He, I mean, he's someone who he just, he took a major jump in his game. Like, so he's 20 years old and he's got 107 points in 68 games this year. Two years, you talk about late, late, late bloomer in his draft year, which would have been uh, 2021, he only had 15 points in 23 games. Now, it was very weird year. He had, I mean, his last, the year before that, he had 29 points in 59 games. Um, And, but like, he's one of those prospects who he was a late, Late bloomer combined with COVID seasons, making it hard to judge. He's someone who, if not for COVID, maybe he's drafted. Maybe he's drafted. Maybe he has a larger sample size in his draft year. Uh, and but even the jump last year, going from a from with Lethbridge then to to Winnipeg to he had thirty eight points in fifty five uh, thirty eight points in fifty five games to jump from thirty eight points in fifty five games to one hundred seven points in sixty eight games is a remarkable jump. Um, he's a good flyer, like that. Let's put it this way: he's a he's a good flyer to take. He's dynamic on the power play. Um, he is. He is a. Uh, he has the. He he is impact. He he's a must watch player in the WHL right now, and like very the skill is great. He's good in transition. Um, I don't know if he's gonna like the question on him is, and I'm, I need to look up his the, the name on this right now. Who was the uh, who was the guy the, o- the stars signed out of the OHL a couple years ago, and who was a very similar player? Um, hold on using the internet right now while we're talking. 
Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives we're consumed by all the what if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun if you're like us then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass or play call each week on alternate routes we'll take a flashpoint in sports break down what actually happened then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused follow alternate routes on the wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts you can listen early and ad free right now by joining wondery plus well, well um, I, I asked this question because yeah. I kind of like while you look that up, I've always wondered, yeah. like, is it a pool of money play where other teams like, you know, how do the stars come into a player like this and how much competition is there from other clubs to sign guys like this? Yeah, so money doesn't come into play because the NHL is the one sport we have not the only sport, and I'm sure there's, but in the only North American sport where a rookie deal is a rookie deal, right? There's only, um, there's only slight modifications you can even make to a rookie deal. So it's not a money thing. Um, it really comes down to opportunity and convincing the player why, um, same thing goes with these college free agents, convincing the player why you, have the best chance for them to turn into an NHL player. It all comes down to human relationships. It's not really a financial thing, basically. Okay. Um, okay. It's especially with the entry level contract system. It's, it, it really comes down to, can you sell the player on your vision for that player? And every team is frankly interested in adding these type of guys for every, every team is interested in adding these type of players because they're, they're scratch off tickets. Um, they don't, they rarely pan out, but you sign them, you get excited about them, and then you see what happens. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes they become the, now he wasn't a junior player, but he was a college player. Sometimes they become Gavin Bayreuther, where, yeah. the, where the stars signed Gavin Bayreuther out of St. Lawrence, and they uh, ended up, and he was a college free agent who ended up playing whatever the number of games was with Dallas. Yeah, but real good shot. Built, filled a role when he needed it. Yeah. Other times they became, and I looked it up, Ty Fellhaber, who 2000, Ty Fellhaber during the 2018-19 season had 109 points for the Ottawa 67s wow. in 68 games. And Dallas signed him to an entry-level deal. And he just never, just he wasn't a, he wasn't a good AHLer. I mean, in Texas, he had eight points in 41 games, eight points in 31 games, two points in 14 games, and then he got traded away during the 21-22 season. Like, so sometimes, so sometimes these these signings that's like we like it's it's kind of the thing where it's like it's like the mystery box type deal, right? Where it's like, oh, what's in the mystery box? And any because it's the world of excitement, and you think of like, oh, this could be this this thing or whatever, but like. So often, the reason so so often these 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 signings r- rarely pan out to anything beyond a good AHL players, if that. Yeah. And that's and so 
like with Wheatcroft, for example, to me, I look at him as a guy who will have a chance and it's a free, it's a free prospect you added to your pool and not free, you're paying money for it, but it's someone you didn't have to spend a draft pick on. And I, th- I think NHL teams should do their best to always have because uh, you get 50 you get 50 pro contracts right gavin so you get 50 pro contracts yep. you should always the ideal number is probably 47 to 48 contracts because you want to ha- leave that flexibility where like you wouldn't like the stars the stars have say say you have 50 contracts signed right or whatever and then all of a sudden you're going to the deadline and you want to add a guy and but you're at the 50 max and you have to do contract in contract out. It adds other elements of difficulty. But that's why for me, from, I think from a roster perspective and a management perspective, you should always have 47 to 48 contracts signed. So you always have one or two wiggle room at deadline time. So when you have space like the stars do, and you can add a guy like Wheatcroft, do it. Bring him in, see what happens, see what happens. And if it doesn't pan out, you didn't spend a pick on him and and you, you didn't see, you, you didn't spend a draft pick on them. It's, it's, it's all about all of these, like this prospect stuff is it's all about compiling. Honestly, it's all about compiling. And each time you're buying lottery tickets, basically, I mean, it's part of the, the reason the, why are these teams who, these teams who sold at the deadline and and the story of the day was you need we want we want picks and everything like that and Arizona and Detroit and, and, and all these teams just started adding picks at the deadline. It all comes down to you're trying to buy as many scratch off tickets as possible. So maybe one of those is that golden ticket that's going to turn into something else. A lot of the times they turn into nothing more than a AHL player. And even if they turn to an NHL player, they're a depth player. But it's just trying to find and hope you find that guy who comes through. Um, and I used to be, I used to be someone who was overly, I would overly look at AHL success and think of NHL success. Um, that's someone, I, and I admit I've, I've become a little bit more of an old curmudgeon on prospects. I used to be the person who was like, Oh my God, this guy's great. He's going to be in the NHL. And then, I covered the 2014 Texas stars team that won a championship from that team. How many guys from the 2014 Texas stars went on to have impactful NHL careers with the Dallas stars, Radic Foxa, Mm -hmm. Jamie, Jamie Alexiak. That's it. Wow. Like, I mean, so that's, that's, that's the fact of the matter is the, the minor league success, junior hockey success, it's great and as excited as you want to get and everything like that. And that's why sometimes I feel like it can be, it can be hard for someone to, it can be hard to get excited for a rebuild sometimes because um, there's so much for all of the, it could be this, it could be this guy. Oh my God. Type moments. 99% of the time it's, it's a, he's a good AHL player. He's yeah. a good ECHL player. And I, I, so I like, I look at Wheatcroft and I look at, uh, and I look at, uh, 
and I and I look at Semenov and I look at both of them and I see the reasons they can have a chance. Semenov, I see the talent. I see the way he takes his routes on the four check. I see the way he does the little things for that Kamloops team. And and I see and I see what he does and I see the reasons he could have a chance. I also see the skating and I see the fact that he gets to play with a guy like Stig Coven. And when you're playing with a when you're playing with a player who's going to be a top six NHL player in a couple of years, it's it's as in junior hockey, it's easy to start putting up those points. So like I see the reasons that Semenov could that, that Semenov could pan out. I also see not not even the red flags, just the things that you you look at. Like it's like for example, to give you an idea, an extreme example of how junior hockey stats can be kind of interesting and everything like that. The 2014-15 uh, Erie Otters, Connor McDavid, the team Connor McDavid played junior hockey for, McDavid had 120 points in 47 games for Erie that year. It's absolutely ridiculous. Mm-hmm. There's a right wing on that team uh, named Nick Betts, who had that year in Erie had 54 points in 60 games was, was it, was a, was a, was almost a point per game player. Nick Betts after his junior career ended played 24 plus 18. So, uh, 42 ECHL games. And that was the end of his career. Like wow. nothing, nothing against Nick Betts, yeah. but just to show like, just my point being is junior hockey, junior hockey stats and, start him down there is it's a it's a whole yeah it's a, it's an interesting it's an interesting thing to try to to figure out and it, it is so i, w- I would also I, so add like, that I, the, I, yeah. I, I would also add that the ice is more wide open i mean the one thing i agree with you about the ahl but the one thing i do like about the ahl the physicality is ramped up and similar to playoff hockey i feel as though the ice shrinks when you jump from junior to the a the I, the with with the AHL too, it's also there's also different games, and I'm, I'm, I'm I wasn't planning to go down this path, but this has been fresh in my yeah, mind. Yeah, this is like I wrote, a I wrote, this is a yeah, June I, conversation. I'm impressed. Yeah, 